Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. another episode of the good music podcast i'm lucas i'm Grant, and i'm ethan if it's your first time listening welcome but here's what you need to know you need to subscribe to this after you listen to the whole thing we have three segments for you we're going to talk about the band we're going to listen to some songs and we're going to have some final thoughts but after all this is over and you like what you hear subscribe we're gaining subscribers from all over the world gaining hundreds of subscribers every week um you can find us on social media on instagram and facebook comment uh say what artist you want us to do next and if you are a veteran good music podcast listener then your step is to start subscribing to us on patreon you get early episodes and you get the special after hours segment which uh, will be evolving very, very soon. But, Lucas, um, last week we said that we were going to be um, doing a certain artist, and we kind of took a little bit of a sidetrack. Can you uh, take us on that journey? Yeah, so uh, originally this was going to be a Michael Jackson episode, and we actually have already recorded it. Um, but then of course, you know, everyone knows why they're listening to this episode, um, with Eddie Van Halen passing away two days as of, uh, recording this episode ago. And, you know, I've, I've said before, in fact, if you listen to one of our after hours segments in a previous one, I had said that I had planned our episodes all the way through to the end of the year. And I said that that's going to stay um, locked in unless something crazy like a super iconic uh, musician dies. Well, I, I hate to think that I predicted that something like that would happen because I didn't. But um, that is the case here. We're going to be dedicating this episode to Van Halen and to the, uh, the late genius Eddie Van Halen one of the if not the greatest guitar player to um, enter the rock and roll world and so uh, everything that all of our other episodes have been pushed back a week obviously the uh, the music history and the volume twos are staying where they are but um, our michael jackson episode will be coming next week and You'll have to pardon if it's we're saying, oh, last week on Iron Maiden on that episode, just because, you know, we recorded that one. And then all of a sudden this happened and we were just like, well, this has to we have to record an episode about this to pay tribute. Because he he is true. He is and was truly one of the greats. I yep. mean, he is one of the few that can sit in that top a list status. I would 
I would put him in the top 10 most influential musicians of all time. Um, and we'll, we'll get deeper into why that is later in the segment. Um, but it's, it's truly a huge loss and man, just 2020 has been brutal. It's kind of a, notwithstanding all the COVID and election and all the craziness that's going on, but just the number of musician deaths this year, it's, it's looking pretty equal to 2016 so far. Yeah. Especially with the iconic nature of some of the musicians who have been lost. I mean, we had Neil at the very beginning of the year and I thought that would have been, you know, the worst thing to happen this year. And, you know, little did we know that this year's just been, it's, it's, it has been bad all around for every part of life, except for maybe the, the, you know, artists at home who like us, who kind of are able to stay home and do our craft. Like that's, those are the only people who have benefited from anything this year. Yeah, uh, and it's sad to think that we lost the greatest drummer, in my opinion, of all time, who was influential musically. You know, to musicians who are not drummers, and now we've lost, in my opinion, the greatest guitar player of all time. Certainly, the most influential guitar player of all time. Uh, definitely, really inspiring to me personally and millions of others he was the reason that a lot of you know 12 year old kids like me decided to not put down the guitar when i you know when i discovered eddie van halen it was like it it was it was a weird contrast between he's so good and it's like it's wizardry and it's like some kind of weird black magic that he has over the guitar and yet I can also be like that. It was such a relatable phrasing and, and way of playing that you felt like you could do it too. And that's what I think people related to. That's what I related to. And part of that is just their songwriting and the way that he wrote his solos. They were all, they were all very short uh, for the most part. And so you felt like there were little licks that you could pick up on, little techniques like the Mean Street intro, which, you know, we, we can talk about later, and, and the intro to Women in Love, which we can talk about later. They're all just these little gimmicks and techniques that, you know, you want to figure out how to do on your guitar, and everyone could learn how to do them. You know, it didn't take any special effects or any special pedals or anything. You just had to turn your gain up and, and figure it out. And when you could do that thing, you felt you felt like him. And it was, it was, I don't know. He's just, he's just like a godlike figure, but he's, his way of phrasing it spoke to you. I, you phrased it very well in your first episode. If you haven't listened to the first episode, by the way, go listen to that. Um, the way you phrased it in your first episode was spot on. It felt like it was another voice speaking to you mm-hmm. uh, or singing to you or whatever. But I could go on and on and on, and I will go on and on and on in this section about him. But I'm going to stop for now and let you guys pick up from there. 
Yeah. Um, Ethan, since you're not as much of a rock and roll guy, kind of just give us a little background on kind of what your knowledge is of Eddie Van Halen. And if you have any kind of remembrance of, you know, going, yeah, I remember hearing this song, that song before and, and kind of what your impressions were. I would say as a drummer, Hot for Teacher was like the, like one of the songs. Like, oh yeah. It, it was it was like up there with like it's like oh well hey can you play um yyz you know and that's like the first like kind of weird time signature thing that you learn as a drummer and then it's like you get into hot for teacher and it's like well i have no idea what i'm doing now mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like i still have no idea like exactly what it's one of the greatest drum tracks yeah. ever laid down and so um I I know him from a respect level, but whenever I was really into like rock and stuff, I I I like almost like skipped over Van Halen and went like straight straight to Dream Theater and Prague. <laughs> and so it it was it's not out of disrespect, but like once I started getting into drums, I gravitated towards like I gravitated towards drums in the same way that Grant gravitated towards guitar, you know? And so I definitely put him on like the pedestal of greatest rock guitarists, like of all time. But my knowledge pretty much ends. I never really got into Van Halen, even like outside of like their big, big hits. Like obviously like jump, like everybody, you know like everybody knows about Mm -hmm. jump everybody knows about panama everybody knows about eruption like holy crap you know everybody wants some obviously like all these like i'm just like looking back through the through everything it's just like just hit after hit after hit after hit after hit but Mm -hmm. as far as knowledge that just comes from me and society that's about as much as i know about uh van halen like this will be a this will be a good education for you i'll talk i'll talk about my introduction and experience with van halen over the years so like um van halen was never one of those bands that i always would put in like my top categories but they were always a band that just stayed through my listening like they were a band that I would almost forget about them, and then when I would come back, I'd go, "Man, I love Van Halen." Oh yeah, same. <laughs> and uh, when I was first starting to get into music, they were one of the first bands that I kind of picked up on. When I, you know, I've told the story on many episodes of the hard drive that my dad gave me. That was really my introduction. He, my dad, is kind of a Van Halen fan. I'm actually finding out how much of a Van Halen fan he's been over the last couple days. He's like been texting me about different songs that he really loves and, and asking me questions and just like, Oh, I didn't realize you were as big of a fan, but he gave me three songs mainly because his, his favorite album was 1984. And so I remember on that hard drive, it had jump Panama and I'll wait and I'll wait was actually surprisingly the first one that caught my ears. And that's always kind of a song that's been a special 
place in my heart because like I didn't I wasn't aware of the guitar level because that's a very keyboard driven song but it was the drums that caught my ear because it's a very lead drum song Mm -hmm. and I remember that was one of the very first songs that I ever like sat down and tried to piece together every beat that was going on in my at that time probably only playing Jones for like six or seven months and then um but then it was when I heard Eruption for the first time. I remember it's one of those times that like I usually can't remember a lot of times the first time I hear a song. That's one of the songs that I know exactly where I was. I know like what time of day it was. I know where everyone around me was. And specifically when he hit that tapping section towards the end, I remember just like my mouth opening and just like what is happening <laughs> how is how is he doing that and i remember i asked my dad i was just like is like is this like sampled from an arcade game he's just like nope that's just him on the guitar i was like oh my gosh and then from that point i got their greatest hits album listened to that all the way through and was just from that point was just like okay yeah I'm I'm on the Van Halen um, train, but just to, like I said, is they never were a band where it was just like I would always put them. They were in my top five favorite bands. They were just there were always other bands that I gravitated more towards, but they Van Halen always stayed in my level of yes, I love Van Halen. Mm-hmm. And each time that I've come back to them, I've learned more about them, discovered new parts of their discography I hadn't gotten into before, and just continuing to learn and understand how um, important they were. So that's that's kind of been my experience with Van Halen. So we was, it's, it's interesting. We've got Ethan that's very um, – low on the experience me that's somewhere in the middle and then grant that's like you know yeah he's a that was yeah. one of one of if a not pillar. your favorite band it's one of this, grant's four pillars. this is this if i had yes if i had pillars of like what i listened to they would not be one of those because i don't listen to van halen that much anymore but if we talked about like pillars of influence they would probably be close to the first pillar it it would definitely consist of Rush and Van Halen and probably one of the big four. Uh, and then just, I don't know, pick another band. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's really funny because if you have, have you ever watched the Smithsonian interview with Eddie? No, I haven't. So it's, it's really great. You should listen to it, but, but he talks a lot about these, different stories about him and and kind of like you know the story of his life is basically him and his brother they're actually dutch they actually immigrated when he was in like grade school and he didn't know any english and so it was it was him and alex trying to learn instruments so they could kind of fit in is what i remember and so right and so eddie wanted to play the drums because the big thing at the time was drums but he came home and found out that Alex was playing him better. And so, which is really weird to think about that it, it, wasn't, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as much Alex settling for drums. It was kind of Eddie settling for guitar. 
and I'm I'm glad he did because <laughs> like here we are. But it it and you're right about him ripping guitars apart. He would take uh, uh, humbucker pickups and dip them in candle wax to try to uh, keep the keep the buzz out, keep the hum out because there was noise still associated with them. And, you know, he ruined so many pickups, melting them in candle wax. And finally he got one that he, he dipped it in. And as soon as it started to wrinkle, he just ripped it right out. And it was just, it was the greatest sounding pickup he'd ever listened to. That's the one that's in the Frankenstrat. Um, and that's how pickups mm-hmm. are made today. Um, with, with picks, guitar picks, he had the problem that they would, fall out of his uh fall out of his hands when he was playing because he'd play so aggressively he's one of those guitar players that he'd set his tone to what it was and then he'd kind of play with the volume knob to get it to where he needed it so he didn't have to worry about a pedal board or anything um and and he would play really aggressively sometimes because he'd have his volume kind of at half or whatever but he'd drop his pick so much, so he started gluing sandpaper to the sides of the picks so he wouldn't <laughs> drop them. And now we have picks that have yeah. the the sandpaper grip. Uh, so he's it's it's crazy that he's also influenced a lot of technology too. Yeah, that was I think one of the most surprising things. Like, you know, this episode's just a little peek behind the curtain. Like, this is very much a a more thrown together at the last minute kind of episode you know not having as much of the ardent research as normal but i still spent the last couple of days kind of just trying to absorb as much as i could and that was one of the most interesting things i came across was how much he contributed to the um to the actual gear and technology aspect of guitars that it wasn't just his playing and his songwriting but it was like yeah finding out that you know the way that he i also read the the story about the pickups i mean i me i don't really know what a lot of it means but when they would say it was just like and now that's how everyone does it i'm just like gosh dang yeah (laughs) and like and the there was something about his amps that he started to tinker with and now everyone does that with oh, their amps it must be it must be the multi uh staged amplification there's, yeah whatever that means <laughs> i'll let you explain what that well, means okay so normal amplifiers it, it used to be that you would just uh try to get distortion you just turn the gain all the way up to 10 or whatever and so it just it kind of clip and then that's how you get the distortion and kind of turn it into a square wave. But they found out very soon, and actually Alex Lifeson was another guitar player to kind of experiment with this, although he didn't do as much the technology side. He just kind of experimented with the sounds of the already existing amps to try to turn them into kind of a multi-stage sound. Um, mm-hmm. But you'd have you know multiple amplifiers that would feed into each other not not actual like amplifier head like units but the the circuitry in those would have smaller amplifiers in them smaller tube amplifiers that would kind of go into each other and they would play off each other in really weird ways and it's hard to explain because it's such a complex science i once tried to understand it but it was just 
it was too much. But um, and and another big thing he did was he pioneered the whole British brown sound thing. You know, take a mark. Yeah, that was another thing I was gonna. Right, I was gonna head to is his his revolutionary time. Yeah, take take a take a Marshall amp and just turn everything to ten. And British amps are so good at uh, being able to respond to that high distortion, high gain. American amps suck at it. It's just, I don't. Yeah, I had heard the the story and literally just reading this today that like on the American amps he was turning them all the way up and it still wasn't near enough power and so it's, that's when he that moved it, over to the British it's amps. It's not that it's near enough it's just that the American amps get screechy too they they lose a lot of bottom end and it's just I don't know what we're doing wrong here on this side of the pond but <laughs> they do it better over there uh, but yeah and so that's that's I, I don't want to say that he turned Marshall into a huge amp sensation, but that's kind of how everybody started using them afterwards. And, and yeah. phasers too. He, he kind of made the phaser become, you know, less of a like, Ooh, spacey, whatever. And more into like, Oh, this is how you, uh, kind of distinguish a, a solo from, you know, not a solo or whatever, instead of just turning it up from the mix. Uh, that That's one of the reasons he used phasers. It was pretty much just a, just a phaser and a flanger and a wah and the amp itself that I can really think he ever used. I can't remember him using wah on a song specifically. I'm sure he did. But uh, um, it's I I can't think of any yeah. Uh, but I instance. I know there is one on his pedal board now. I, I remember seeing it during when he was promoting the fifty one fifty three S, which is another story. Uh, but, but and then uh, the last the last thing that I caught uh, that he really uh, introduced technology wise was the idea of suspension in the strings because of his frequent use of dive bombs. Oh. And again, I'm I'm speaking in terminology that I don't quite completely understand, so I'll have you kind of you, do the you actual the, technical you the explaining. Bridge. Yeah. Right. So if you really if you think about it mechanically, the strings of guitar really act like springs. They have a lot of tension. And so mm -hmm. when you string them up too much, obviously you're gonna pull the bridge out or whatever. Um and and if you want to dive bomb too hard on a normal bridge it's almost a hardtail it's just kind of locked in there sort of loosely you know what i'm talking about where it's it's not a floating bridge but you still got the whammy bar yeah it just kind of yeah um i know all the guitarists know exactly what i'm talking about you can't dive bomb those down to the octave lower that he did on eruption you can't do that it's you're gonna break the guitar you're gonna rip something apart and it will never be able to be played again um, yeah and he was and, and so, he was kind of the first one to figure out a way to dive right, bomb like and, that and, 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 and it and knocks so, a lot of tune or break right and so what what you would do for a floating bridge you have springs in the back of the guitar so now you have the springs 
in the back and the strings that are kind of counteracting each other and the 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 whammy bar is now just moving that bridge so it's distributing the tension from the strings to the springs or vice versa to be able to go up or down um and he originally had uh or i think most guitar players today i certainly do have the the locking nut you know at the top Mm -hmm. of the neck to keep it from sliding around on the nut so you get like tension caught up in the head or in the strings or whatever and going out of tune that's how you go out of tune uh but he found out pretty quickly that actually if you rub pencil lead uh along the nut it makes you know it it completely loses any uh friction and so you'll lose that tension and and the strings will not go out of tune that way and it's a lot he found that was a lot easier on his guitar um he's ripped apart so many fretboards too that just got me thinking he had to get um every few weeks he played guitar so much right you said he was walking around with a guitar everywhere he went he played his guitar so much that he had to get them refretted every two weeks because he would do so many bends too (laughs) and if if everyone's ever if anyone's ever had a uh guitar that has gotten its frets run out you know that it's it's a sad moment because it's just it's not the same but he eventually came up with the idea of stainless steel frets and then now we have stainless steel frets so we can do all the crazy bends and whatever and you know our frets it's just a it's just amazing just like again i never knew about that side of him right that when I was learning, I was just like, golly, I mean, no wonder it's, it's just, it's building his case. And so that's when I want to lead into the next section about the greatest guitar players of all time and about where he stands in that ranking. I was thinking through it. And in my opinion, it's really kind of just almost a deadlock between two men and that's Jimi hendrix and eddie van halen (laughs) and um i want to kind of talk through that explain my reasoning for that um if you have different opinions you can present your case (laughs) um but to me there's i think about guitar and you know you have the really early innovators like les paul and robert johnson and chuck berry that kind of just you know really set the foundation for what the guitar would be but as far as moments in rock history where someone released um, a piece of work and the entire way the guitar is even looked at completely fundamentally changes is when are you experienced came out in 67 and when that first van halen record came out in 78 i look at all of the other guitar players and in my opinion to be considered the greatest you can't just have incredible technique and ability you had to have had some kind of lasting deep impact on the entire guitar world and not just in specifically your own genre that you play in um 
and both Jimmy and Eddie have had that. And to me, I look at the other ones, some people like Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page or um, some of these other guys that, you know, when you look at their first work that's being released, they're not yet at the point of being the greatest in the world. Like, you know, you look at the first couple Led Zeppelin records, Jimmy Page is good. But you can tell he's still sculpting his style. It's really when you get to Zeppelin 3, 4, and House of the Holy that that's when he really emerges as a dominant guitar player. Um, you know, same with it's Clapton. He he had a long time in the Yardbirds and with the Blues Breakers, and it's when he gets to Cream that he really starts to um, exert his influence on the guitar. When you look at both Jimmy and Eddie's first records, they're completely fully formed when that first record comes out. I mean, you just, I mean, listening to Van Halen, that first album, he's already the greatest in the world at what he's doing. He, you know, obviously, and obviously he does grow, but there's not this slow burn. It's all of a sudden just he's there, no one knows who he is, and all of a sudden, he's blowing everyone's mind that's listening to him and Hendrix. Well, you know why that is. Yeah. And Hendrix did the exact same thing. Um, I learned a lot about this because originally a Hendrix episode was going to be coming this month. And now that's been pushed to uh, next month. So I've kind of been in the bit of the same brain space of examining why everyone says Jimi Hendrix is the greatest of all time. And I think that that's a big component of it is that when they introduce themselves to the world, they already played in such a revolutionary way that that everyone else was just trying to keep up. And I think that that's right. – I think that that – you know, they're the only two guys that have ever really done that to where – even the greatest of the great at their time are still perplexed and not sure how they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that my personal opinion goes right to Eddie of those two. Uh, but that's just because, you know, Eddie had the guitar culture that Jimmy created to build off of. Yeah, I mean... And so, yeah, you can make the argument that there'd be no Eddie without Jimmy, but Eddie still did it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think when you look at what Jimmy did, um, you could say that it was a little more impressive because of how little there was before he came. There was essentially hardly anything modern at all about guitar playing before 67. Pretty much just about everyone was copying what the blues had already been doing for about 20 years at that point. You know, there were people that were really, really good at it. I mean, Eric Clapton was the best blues player in the world at that point. But, you know, that's mainly still what he was doing is he was playing the blues. And when Jimmy came along it was just like all these techniques these phrasings these this rhythm playing it was just on a level that nobody didn't even conceive it wasn't even anyone's thoughts 
And I think how much he created something out of nothing. Like you don't hear a lot of previous influence in his own work. He's like his, his own influence. And I think that, but again, when Eddie comes in, it's almost the exact same thing. And, you know, his technical skill is still so immense, especially for that time. And to me, I can see it going either way. In fact, I don't think I can pick between the two because in some ways they're identical and in some ways they're completely different. It kind of depends on if you go with the argument of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Could Eddie have done what he did without Jimmy? And does that make Jimmy better because he did it first or Eddie because he improved on what he did? It's a it's an interesting mm. debate, but in my opinion, yeah. no one else can enter that uh, that debate. It's it has to be one of those two. Okay, I will I will be okay with you saying that he is one of two of the best. Yes, I would be okay with top two. You're not gonna. You're Ethan, not gonna talk about my man. You've, uh, you can. You can survive. You're not gonna talk things. about my man BB King or my man Steve no. Ray Vaughn. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Again, they didn't. They're they're incredible. I would say that they're the best of what they did, but they also weren't revolutionaries. They were just perfecting everything that had come before them. They weren't taking it in new directions. These were the two guys that completely changed the entire landscape and direction of where guitar was heading. When Stevie Ray Vaughan came on, oh yeah, he's he's a contender for the greatest blues player of all time. Absolutely. But when he came along, it not everyone in the in, in the popular music world didn't try and start playing like him when both Hendrix and Eddie came on absolutely everyone started following what they were doing that's fair yes that is true and and it's it's weird to think that Eddie didn't necessarily invent like crazy wild techniques to the like he's not he's not doing the michelangelo badio stuff yeah where where he's he's sweet picking all over the place and he's like playing with his hands opposite and he has like four guitars that are linked together or whatever it's it's still one guitar yeah and that's why i think still his hands just the way they are and it and it's and for the most part it's new spins on very old, very kind of classical techniques, really. Mm -hmm. That's why I think that you can't judge who the greatest guitar player of all time is by pure skill. Because, yeah, there are people that are technically better than both of those guys. You know, to say that no one ever was more proficient at the instrument than them is just 100% false. Yet at the same time, these people that are technically better did not have the same impact on the instrument 
that those two had. Yeah. It's almost like there's 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 these it's these two big bangs where where guitar was literally one way and then that their debut album came out and then it was almost like a light switch came on and everything changed afterward. Lucas, if you had to choose between the two, who would you pick? Hmm, I mean I think be biased. I think that I would have to go with Hendrix. Mainly just because of the the template that it set for literally everybody. Where with Van Halen, you could say less so that his style uh, went into more pop territories. It was more of he just influenced the entire rock, hard rock, heavy metal scene 100%. Where Hendrix, I think, had a bit more of a wider influence on the genres as a whole. As well as the fact that he had a little, he made something from a little more nothing than Van, than Eddie did. I think that his, um, he he created a larger foundation, and I don't think I would have been able to accurately make that answer though had I not just finished in a very intensive Jimi Hendrix research because that was (laughs) literally the entire point of that is because I never understood like I understood why Eddie was considered one of the greatest but I never understood the Jimi Hendrix one I was just like really he's Mm -hmm. the greatest and then I just was like that was my mission I had to know the answer and now I feel like I understand and so but man, I'm telling you, it is a hair difference, and of the minuscule and the, hair. The difference. number, the number three spot is a lot farther away. Yes, I believe so. I think that a number of people could take that three spot. Yeah, but to me, it's long, it's long. there's the 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 the. the match has always been between those two. And I feel like depending on the situation, the argument, the context, it could go either way. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my rationale for that. And, um, if you guys don't have anything else you wanted to cover, we can move on to the next segment. I have, I have a, a lot more, but I'll try to keep it brief. You did say, <laughs> you did say in the last episode that Diver Down is one of the worst Van Halen albums, but I encourage you to listen to it because it, oh, it's, it's really, it's, it's one of the few Van Halen albums that like any, well, okay, not few, but like it's one of the Van Halen albums where, uh, no matter what kind of mood I'm in, like any day, any time, you can put it on. I'll listen to the entire thing, start to finish. Let Diver me... Down, 1984, 5150, and the debut are probably those four that are fantastic. 
So I actually did listen to it again yesterday. Okay. And I still don't like it. I do think of the classic, <laughs> oh of the classic period of the David Lee Roth period from Van Halen to 1984. I do think it's the weakest one. There is a song on there where um, the Van Halen father actually plays on it. He plays the oboe on uh, Big Bad Bill. Yeah. See, I think that that's one of their worst songs. Well, it's cool. <laughs> no, that's that album is not meant to be like their. If you if you put that album in the context that you, if you really think about the context that you put it in, in the last episode for Van Halen, it's not meant to be their big, nineteen eighty four, uh, well, black album. Yeah, uh, well, here's well, here's the thing. They didn't. They didn't even want to make that album, right? But but it. If you think about, and you can tell the passion. The passion is not. It's in some of the songs. It is. If you think about it, just being them throwing some stuff together and playing it, then it sounds amazing. It it's just it sounds like them being real. I just I I completely disagree because they Eddie and David were at each other's throats on that album. They were on '84 too. Yeah, but let me tell you what—it's so much more cohesive on '84. I now to say that Diver Down is a bad album. I'm not going to say that because it is a good album. It's just not a great album compared. To the other albums, I would say Diver Down and Van Halen 2 are kind of the weaker albums of that time period. Okay, Van Halen 2 also has some really good whatever. Yeah, it does. Absolutely does. I'm going to defend no, There's no Van Halen record of that era that doesn't have some some strong songs on it. Because Van Halen 2 isn't isn't a start to finish yeah killer especially when you put it in the context of it coming off the heels of that first one it does feel like a step backwards now there's some incredible songs beautiful girls women in love uh dance the night away somebody get me a doctor but then you also have songs like doa out of love again that's just kind of like i it's just not as powerful and um, I feel the same about Diver Down. The fact that a large portion of the album is cover songs. Although, again, some of the cover songs, they do really well. Their version of Oh Pretty Woman, I think, is one of their strongest songs. I Dancing think that... See, I'm a little bit more on that, that song, song doesn't work as well. so good. That is such a good song. Oh, my gosh. I don't but, know what you're talking but Cathedral? it does have little like guitars. Little... Say that again. <laughs> little guitars. Yeah, I was about to say little guitars. I think yeah. it's the strongest song on the album. What? Uh, Hang 'em high is great. I don't and... know about strongest, but all right. Um... We're, we we will probably disagree for days <laughs> on the greatest 
<laughs> the worst and greatest Van Halen records and songs. Which I think I think that we could make that for a great after hours segment. That would be great because yeah, I have I am, a I bit of a controversial my... pick. Do you already have that playlist? Album. Figured out. I... The Van Halen. Um. Yes. Well, for the David Lee Roth era, I've already got that schedule, but. I figure because normally we talk about just an artist's worst songs. Yeah. I kind of don't want to do that on this episode. It doesn't feel very respectful when someone dies and go, let's talk about the worst songs they ever made. <laughs> um, I think more having a debate on what yeah. we think is the best <laughs> would be yeah, a more fitting <laughs> way to pay tribute. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, when we go to our next um, actual episode, like, because then we'll have our music history episode. But when we get to our next volume two, we can absolutely talk about worse songs again. (laughs) So, but yes, I I have ranked them, though, just to, again, kind of help me collect my thoughts, listen to the songs and just kind of recenter my mind on all things Van Halen. I, so, I will definitely be saving my favorite Eddie moments for After Hours, too. Yes, because there's a lot of great Eddie moments that uh, have not made it onto an episode yet. So, and and we'll and and if I kept going, I'd probably mention them <laughs> in this section. But yeah, uh, you already so mentioned if, a couple. If if you want to hear that, then you should go to our Patreon. Yes. Yes, so, you should. Anyway, I I think, yeah, I think we could be done with this section. All right. <laughs> Unless you guys have stuff to say. I know I tried to drag it out because it's just there's so much. Because yeah, there, you there just is. need to accept that Van again is one of your four pillars. Maybe I do. Maybe just in Because spirit, here's the not... thing. The way I, that I define the four pillars, not who I listen to all the time. It's who because is Because there are but moments have... throughout the years where I'll go a long time without listening to those. But they're the, what I mean them as, they're the ones that, the, that most dictate my tastes, my playing style. And they're the wellsprings that I return to, you, to for You would never get tired of them. But I don't, I, I don't. I yeah, when I go back to I'm just to, like, yes. I haven't listened to every Van Halen song. Well, it wasn't until very recently that I had listened to every Iron Maiden song. Well, but that's, okay. That's because they made an album recently whatever well okay. no not since 2015 i hadn't listened to a lot of their 90s stuff uh, okay. because that's kind of considered the low point of the band that's the low point of a lot of bands in the 80s yeah it was a bad time <laughs> not for but like right now right now my my <laughs> it's true for for if you were a 70s or 80s metal band the <laughs> 90s was a really bad time <laughs> Pink Floyd movie. That's kind of what I find myself naturally going back to. And it always happens about this time of year. As the as the weather begins to change. Huh. Are you, 
Do your do your four uh, um, four pillars follow the four seasons? Not really, except for Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd always rears its head about this time of year. Okay. Um, almost almost on cue. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up this segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs we picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Van Halen, specifically Eddie Van Halen and his influence over the guitar world. And now it's time to continue talking about that through this next segment, our six-song segment. This is Volume 2, so you all probably should have listened to Volume 1, so you should know what's happening. But just in case you don't, Lucas, could you explain to them what do we mean by six songs? Why do we have this segment? Yes, so um, this is a bit of a weird place for a Volume 2. Normally we put these at the beginning of each month, but obviously this was kind of a, a special episode as we're paying remembrance to Eddie Van Halen. Um, so these six songs are not as much about introducing you to the artist, but about expanding what we already know. Now, of course, there are some big iconic songs on this set, but my goal specifically in this episode was to, um, show us Eddie as a instrumentalist. I wanted to have songs where Eddie was either the focus or one of the focuses of the song. And I wanted to kind of show that in some varying different ways. And so that's kind of what dictated the way that I chose these Ooh. songs. So it's not just me picking my six favorites. It's not me picking what are their six biggest ones, um, as well as trying to find an emotional through from start to finish. That way the songs are transitioning well. And that by the end, hopefully you have a cathartic experience. I certainly did when I put this set together. Yeah, um, you did. Yeah. Mhm. I uh, again, it's it was weird because I uh, am not like one of those people that says that Van Halen was my favorite band. They're super near and dear to my heart. I obviously, love them, but they weren't you know at the same level that Pink Floyd or Queen or bands like those. But I found myself actually tearing up and crying at certain points just because it was just like, you know, the music. It was speaking to me. And so um, if you want the music to speak to you as well, there's a link in the description of the episode <laughs> <laughs> that will take you to a Spotify playlist. So um, please, please make sure that you go listen to these songs. Don't just hear us uh rave over them and then not listen to them even if you've heard them before 
um, Ethan and Grant can attest to this, that listening to these songs that you've heard before in the order that they're in will potentially open you to a new perspective on some of the songs. In our Michael Jackson episode next time, we actually talk about that a little bit because your yep. minds got changed on certain songs because of the way they were mm-hmm. put in the set. Yes, that's that, right. that is true. So make sure you go listen to them. And we'll go ahead and get into the first song, which Grant is? Running with the Devil. Yes. So this was the uh, the first song off of that first album. It was also, I believe, the first single. And this was for just about everybody at that time, everyone's first introduction to Van Halen. And this almost made it onto the uh, first episode, but I felt that for people, if you're like, if you've never listened to Van Halen before, I wanted to kind of start it with Eruption first, just to set the, (laughs) the, 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 the story straight on just kind of what kind of band and guitar player we're dealing with. So it would probably be for a lot of people inconceivable to think that running with the devil would not make it onto a first episode, but those are my reasons. And now it is here. Yep. It's cool to know that this was like the first thing that like most people heard. That kind of puts it into a new perspective for me. Yeah. And I felt, you know, when we're, if we're going to be looking and remembering through Eddie, I think it's fitting to kind of go back to the very beginning. Now, this song is really interesting to be a first song because you have that really weird intro, which we can talk about later. But it, it also, it's not a guitar crazy song it's not like the rest of the album i would say where it's just Mm -hmm. solo here solo there you know licks in between every word that david lee roth is singing yeah there's not really any formal solo there's some lead lines Mm -hmm. but it's pretty much just you know to me two riffs i think that it's actually really brilliant because even if and i'm when you listen to the first record i and i think that other people should do this you kind of got to transport yourself to what else was around at that time what guitars sounded like nothing nothing sounded like what eddie was playing not just compositionally but tonally i think that starting with something that's not so in your face as the first song it almost is just like it's enough shock anyway just to hear the way the guitar sounds and he adds little things in there that are so abnormal of that time that it's just it's very much a oh wow this is interesting and then the second song on the album is eruption and that's when he really um introduces what he can do and then the rest of the album is just blitz fire all the way through (laughs) so i think it's actually a genius move to put this at the beginning no, that's actually a really good point. You got to ease him up to it. You know, if you open your album with tech death, no one's going to listen. Mm-hmm. But that's that's actually kind of smart. But anyway, I was gonna I was gonna mention the story on the on the intro there. It's actually it's a it's a car horn that's played backwards. That's played backwards, which I I had no idea for the longest time. I thought they had just like 
done something weird with like a synth or something because i i knew by the time i heard the song i knew about jump and i knew eddie played the synths and whatever so i thought that's what it was but it's like and they do that sometimes they're in a weird way they're like iron maiden with their intros where it's like every once in a while they'll just do something out of nowhere for an mm-hmm. intro <laughs> mm-hmm. you know which which it's really weird it's fitting because our our last episode was iron maiden and last time you did van halen the previous episode was iron maiden so oh, we've had iron maiden van halen twice now wow um, i didn't even notice that but yeah and so no in, actually in no it like wasn't the, i don't think uh i think it was the cars no, was, was in between those really okay I think Maybe? I can I can check right now. You can go back and look, but I feel like that's what it was. And yeah, uh, the cars is sandwiched in between no. Van Halen and Iron Maiden. Barely because I know oh. that because I knew that Slayer was after Van Halen. I was just like, I wouldn't have done three heavy bands like that in a row. I knew I put something poppy in the middle of it. All right. Well, never mind. It. Oh, it probably didn't show up on my anchor thing because I already listened to. It. Ah, uh, gotcha. But which is weird because I already listened to the Iron Maiden, but whatever. Um, but we still did them close to each other. Yeah, so, they are still very close. You're right. Right, and and uh, Ethan you, and I can't remember which one of you mentioned it, but yeah, you, this is a good intro because you're introduced to his tone. And there's a thing about those great guitar players; they always have just an out there tone. I mean, mm-hmm. Randy Rhodes has a tone that's just crazy bad. It's a nightmare to mix. Same thing with, you know, Dimebag. His tone is just what in the world. Eddie, same thing. But but all of their tones somehow fit their tone of their fingers. Mm-hmm. It's well, an it extension just, of them. I feel like if anyone else had that tone, it wouldn't sound right. For guitar players specifically like especially guitar players where the the guitar sound is so central to the band it's like yeah it becomes a part of like their identity as a guitar player like their tone you know what i mean like it becomes the same as they're playing you know like you you can't like anytime that you You can't have someone doing the guitar tone it's like that's just a ripoff you know right And, and eventually eddie does change his tone a little bit as a little bit it's still definitely him as we get to the the Sammy Hagar era. But it's still him behind yeah. the strings. You can you can always and, tell when he's playing guitar. There's no right, one else and, that sounds like him. And that's and that's the that's the whole notion of tone comes from the hands. And so you you hear the tone coming from the hands every time in this song in Run With The Devil when he does that slide at, at the end of every riff and the way that he plays those suspended chords as he climbs up the scale and the way that you know he'll when they go into the verse and it gets kind of quiet this is kind of what I mean where he uses his volume knob to kind of change his tone a little bit now we have kind of a more subdued tone and he didn't have to run over to some amp and hit a button and he didn't have to like change amp settings it was it was the idea of i can be out on the runway in the middle of the audience or completely on the other side of the stadium or whatever 
which I don't I don't think he was doing a wireless, you know, at this point. No, he wasn't because it wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> uh, but but I don't have to worry where I am in relation to my amp to be able to change my tone and completely change the feel while it it's still him, obviously, but completely change mm-hmm. the feel and the tone of the song. Yeah. And that makes and sense. also just look, looking at the compositionally, um, just immediately in his very first song, um, he greatest riffs ever. Yeah. Something so recognizable, so powerful, yet so simple, which actually ends up not exactly being a hallmark of his playing. Like this is one of the most simple riffs he probably ever wrote. But yet, it's just, it's so good and so powerful. In my opinion, there's yeah. kind of, I don't even really know how to rank them, but there's three great Van Halen riffs that I think all vie for each other for being his best. One of them being Panama from the previous episode that we did. I think that that's just one of the most genius riffs ever written. This being another one, and then uh, the third one will look at later in this episode and we'll maybe get our opinion on seeing which you think is his greatest riff or if it's something completely different oh i think i know which one it is which i would not put up there but we'll see which one i think you're referring to but uh no he he is a good riff writer and he doesn't suffer from the the slayer syndrome of great riffs but bad solos i would say that his solos overshadow his riffs yeah because that's what he's more known for he's more known for his solos and i think that sometimes his his riffing gets overlooked i think i think to have a riff be like that riff is the chorus Mm -hmm. of the song like they say run him with the devil and they have a cool harmony but like it's a fraction of the actual chorus. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're in the chorus whenever that riff starts, not whenever they start singing the chorus. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh-huh. And I think that's a testament to good rock songs where it's just like, we're in the chorus because there's a really good musical cue, not just like I'm singing different words now. Mm-hmm. A- another really notable thing about the way that it's mixed is he's panned off to one side, obviously. Um, and so the reverb is bounced to the other side. And it kind of adds a little bit of space, but like the guitar has its own place in the mix. But it's also important to note that there's only one guitar track all the way through for the rhythm. Yeah. And, and when he... That, that happens over and over and over again throughout all of the Van Halen discography is he just does one take. Yeah, he... Because he's just that... He big. doesn't have to have another... His tone is so powerful and so wow. dominant that when he goes to solo, you don't have to have another guitar underneath to help fill the space because even his lead solo playing is so just... Um, Full. Yeah, that it it doesn't, you don't have to supplement it with anything. This song is a notable exception on that album where there is some overdubbing. But if you think about like I'm the One, which is an amazing song, I'm glad it was on the last list. Uh, It's it's one take all the way through. Mm -hmm. Like all those solos and all those 
uh, licks and everything, the riffs, everything is just him doing, you know, one take. <laughs> Which is insane because that's I'm one like, of the most. What in the world? That's one like, of the most ridiculous how? guitar tracks probably ever put down by any man. I yeah, exactly. It's like that's like one of the greatest guitar tracks, and then there's like you know the greatest drum tracks with like won't get fooled again and stuff. It's like right up there with. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you, how, I, 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 when I first heard that song, I had, I listened all the way through Van Halen one because I was like, oh, I like some of those songs. I wonder if there's any more that I like. That's how I discovered this song is how I discovered um, Atomic Punk and Feel Your Love mm-hmm. Tonight and a lot of really good stuff on that album. It, this album is just killer. Um it's all the road tested stuff. That's that's how it is. And then Kiss discovered them, and then got the record. Yeah, deal I'd say probably but, the greatest debut rock album of all time. Right. Well, yeah, it's because they they found out what works for for, for the crowd. It truly lives up uh, to the the term of all killer, no filler. There's no filler on that album. Mm. Yes. Well, okay. I would say "Little Little Dreamer" is is the weakest. Well, it's yeah. Well, it's, any song has to be the weakest, but even right. any it's any like significantly weaker than everything else. Anyway, um, we haven't even talked really about like... how good the bass tone in the intro is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Oh, Michael Anthony, the often the forgotten. But he oh, so so important. He doesn't uh, do a lot. It's pretty much just one note. But like, whenever that came in, I was mm-hmm. just like, that tone is really good. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Ethan: Had you heard no, this song I'd before? Never heard the song before. Wow, that's incredible. Because I feel like this is maybe one of their most iconic songs up there with Jump and Panama, like. It's one of those ones that just like everyone's heard R- running with the devil. Not me. So that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is this is one that we do in Area 52. Yeah. I Um last thing I'll touch on this song is, you know, we talk about the fact that his riffing gets overshadowed by his soloing and i think that the reason i wanted to have this song was because of a fact that where the riff is more important than the soloing because his solo is very sparse here it's mm-hmm. it's you know it's more of a lead line than it is a solo right and um for someone that is most known for their solos. Um, I just wanted to kind of start with something that was, you know, let's look at him as a rhythm player and as a riff writer. And so, you know, there's just, there's not really, you know, the dissection of the what crazy kind of technique is he doing on the solo? And um, it's more the concentration on is the riffing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say I think my favorite part of this song is like the last thirty seconds. Oh yeah, when it goes the into the to, to the chokes, like like from well from going, it's like the transition from the I guess you'd call it the bridge, like that. Uh huh. Like the the the, the quote unquote solo in, in 
into the chokes and then like whenever they open it back up i'm just like oh that's so good <laughs> yeah that's yeah it's pretty much just alex van halen changing up the feel of everything and david lee roth just screaming out of his mind oh yeah you see the you see the uh, what was it toyota commercial where it was just the isolated vocal yep. of that that was the greatest yeah that this song yeah. has is noteworthy for a an isolated and it's about just going david lee roth is actually a terrible singer and from a technical standpoint you might be right but it's also like so perfect for the music that it's accompanying if you were to change one thing about that vocal it would be lessened there's nothing you could improve about it it's exactly the vocal that that song needed i didn't notice it being bad well that's the thing you don't notice it's bad when it's with everything it's perfect but it's the thing that when people show you the the vocals without the music around it then like everyone's been making and it's it's you know it loses its quality with the vocal with the instruments not around it but if, but it doesn't if you want to know what we mean by david lee roth being a bad singer then watch them live yeah he's not very good live <laughs> he's not Aww. very good well but he's an incredible showman live. If you watch them live, you'll still think he's a good singer. Listen to them live, <laughs> then <funny>. you'll understand. <laughs> because watch he's still, you're right, he's concert. still a good showman. They are great showmen. I mean, um, they do the they do the the swing from the whatever. What is it? Zip lines and mm -hmm. stuff. He's doing karate and sword dancing, and I think they did that during the yeah, and he hit himself in the nose yeah that was on uh um, was on uh yeah yeah and and so and, uh, but yeah he's, but his voice is perfect it's just that they notice that when you take away the music you're just like oh no, this yeah so i think we can go ahead and move on to the next song which is yes album and a song that is also up there with their most iconic and recognizable songs, and it's their cover of The Kinks, You Really Got Me. Yep. So, so many people for a long time were not aware that this was a cover because they completely, tr they completely transformed this song into something that's completely their own. <laughs> they didn't I didn't know that. Anything. Yeah. They didn't even do anything crazy structurally no. or crazy like compositionally. They just performed it with their like special Yeah, spice. I would say the biggest change being just the way that the guitar is being played. I mean, the vocals, the drums. I mean, yeah, Alex is adding some fills, but it's not too far off. It's just the all the all the, the crazy Eddie guitar. Eddie Van Halen guitar is the Eddie Van Halen guitar is the special yes. sauce. <laughs> he's just he's just letting loose completely. So now we've transitioned from running with the devil of him laying it back more to now like every second of that song, he is just attacking with as much as he has. I mean, you listen. Grant, I'm surprised that you said that um, most of the stuff he did one like guitar take through because this one was not that way either, right? 
uh, rhythm wise, yes. Oh, rhythm wise. Okay. And so those licks, I think so. I think those were part of the one take. Yeah. Um, and and the thing about the first Van Halen album, if you if you listen all the way through, you will notice that also. And this is why I would say that it's it's probably for most of the album is if you listen to the individual licks, he's repeating himself a lot. He has a vocabulary that he uses over and over and over again. That's why he's so distinct is because you're hearing kind of the same musical yeah. phrases mm-hmm. over and over. Again. It's, it's someone's unique and accent so, that they speak with. It's just something that comes natural to him is is the idea. And so it's not like he planned out like or I, I would think it's not like he planned out these licks beforehand it it sounds to me like he's just playing whatever feels right yeah and it feels right yeah <laughs> yeah so, so let's uh let's take a this and the original version so the original uh was by the kinks in the mid 60s British invasion came over around the same time the Beatles and the Rolling Stones did. This was kind of like their their first and the song is notable for being kind of the first big pop song to feature distorted guitar, which it's laughable to consider a distorted guitar compared to today's distortion, but it was the most distorted hit song at the time. But it's very, very uh, weak in comparison. And uh, but the riff is there. The lyrics are altered slightly, um, but you know, structurally, for the most part, you've got the same song. But very sixties. It's very pre pre Hendrix. Just you know, bow now 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 down now repeating that over and over again. You know, you can imagine them in in their smashing suits the way the Beatles were, and they're just kind of, you know, calmly to the beat with smiles on their faces, very reserved. And, uh, you know, it's it's a song of its time. Mm -hmm. And so very radically different feel, mood, and sonically than Halo. Only did they outdo the original, but it are universally known as theirs than the original, which that doesn't happen too often. But the Kinks get paid. Yes, they do. They're very glad that Van Halen covered them. Uh, But you know, it's very much like a um, like a all along the Watchtower, where it's. you know, the the cover has become in a way very much more popular and known as a signature song by the cover artist than it was the original. To where mm-hmm. so many people are amazed that it wasn't their song to begin with. Because there's a lot of times when people do cover songs, you can tell it's just like, this, even if it's filtered through their sound you can tell that songwriting wise lyrically or whatever that this isn't their song something's a cover mm-hmm. yeah 
with uh, You Really Got Me, they could absolutely fool you that the, they wrote this song. And I think that that's the, yeah. that's the <laughs> they proof did. of a good cover song. Right. So I think this is a good time to talk about that freaking guitar solo. Yes. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> so, Grant, tell us what's going on here. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, there's a there's a bend on the seventh fret of the G string up a full fret, and then there's a whole bunch of other tablature after that. <laughs> um, it it's very it pulls off of some of those blues licks. It dips into some jazziness, some weird phrasing, and some some off time phrasing that is very uh, distinct in his later solos, especially the ones on 1984, which is why I love the solos off that album. Um, but even still on this album, he does a lot of, of, of uh, stuff that's not even, it's not even in like a different time signature or it's like a weird subdivision. It's like he, there's, there's like no notation for the timing he's using. Uh, especially towards the end of this solo where he kind of does those weird bends, you know, the like, how do you, what is that? I don't even know. And uh, the, the, the way that he bends at the end, I think, you know, cause the, the first part of the solo, it's like, yeah, he plays fast and whatever. And those are common licks for Eddie. But at the very end, it shows that, weird side of his that too that too but but even just that that last half of the solo proper is it's not what even what you would think a solo would be today like no no one really does that anymore which is kind of sad but it's not because they don't want to or because nobody likes it but because it's just like no one knows how to bring that just kind of like toss you every which direction but still give you like the lemon face mm -hmm. kind yeah. of phrasing yeah it's very much a it does For it does solo. feel like that that solo is just constantly jerking you in so many directions there was a lot of ideas and very polar right. opposite like, ideas. There's some, there's, but yet somehow there's some people, it all there's some people, fits together. Yeah, some people solo, and it's like, okay, you ran out of ideas. Like you're recycling, right? You know? And this is right. like, you got that like those sweet chords, and you got the tap solo, and then you have like some bends, and then you just have like, yeah, it's just it's really, and, it's really good. And he's not one of those guitar players who is going to run out of ideas. If you if you watch um, their some of their live uh, performances, especially around the the Hagar era, the early Hagar era, he does eruption for about like fifteen minutes sometimes, and he doesn't run out of ideas. He keeps going, and it's like fresh and fresh and and whatever. But he, this this solo is like what. 12 seconds yeah it's not long and so that's kind of part of it is like he has to fit all his uh he has to blow everyone's mind yeah in 12 and i seconds. think that it's i think that it's and interesting this is everything so 
we're looking at the first Van Halen album and how we say that it's so interesting that it starts with Running With The Devil, then it goes right into Eruption. And as soon as Eruption is over, this is right. the song that comes on. It's almost just like he he just blew yep. your mind and now he's going to show you uh, how all these techniques will work in a in a song structure. I think it's almost, it's almost like he... That's it's true. like he showed you his hand and now he's going to show you how you're going to use them. What's a practical use for all this crazy technique that I just showed you in a free form stance? Now I'm going to put it in a song and I'm going to show you how cool it is. And in, and in I'm the one for the stuff that he, he doesn't um, do in Eruption because there are also some techniques in Eruption that actually don't show up in this song, especially that mm-hmm. tremolo picking. Um, but it 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 is i had a thought about this song i can't remember what it was but that's okay we can move on um you do you guys have anything else that you wanted to cover here or we could go ahead and move on to the next one i think we're good all right let's go ahead uh the third song in our set is unchained which is the third riff that i think that sits above all other van halen riffs that's what i thought this riff is so good. In fact, I think it might be my favorite riff of the three. This this riff, I can literally just listen to this riff over and over again. There's just so much interesting stuff going on here. And it really uh, is the spine of the entire song. That's been a theme. That was a theme with Run With The Devil parts if you think about it and um, you've got the other instrument that riff comes think... in that's when you know you're at the meat of the song it's it's what right that's again it seems like that's the that's the that's a part of the van halen secret sauce where it's like the eddie's guitar lines are just so key mm-hmm. to everything that unless there's like a synth thing happening which so far uh in the set that's been not a thing but like yeah his guitar mm-hmm. is leading the song for sure like even whenever I because I hadn't heard Unchained until I listened to this either and so I was just like but like as you're listening to it it's like yeah the guitar is leading the charge and and one, like for and sure. one of those things that makes the, the riff so iconic is because those chugs, those low chugs, are not just normal chugs. He's got that flanger on, so it kind of has that shape. Yeah, that, that boom, 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 when it kind of feels like it's it's. it's a cool. Yeah, I, I never understood like what makes that sound. So now I know it's a flanger. Well, I think it's a flanger. Lucas. It sounds like flanger. Lucas, some oh, I love for a good you. theory. The reason why you don't, the reason why that you don't feel like. It has a tonal center is because it doesn't. It's hanging on, it's hanging on the one, and then it goes to a flat flat six major, and then a flat seven major, and then the one, and then the four, and then the five, what? and then back to the hmm. one. Okay. And you're not used to hearing that. It flat sounds six, like flat it's seven. going from from a a one major to a flat. Did you say one major to a flat flat six major? Six major. Flat seven major, and then a flat seven major one. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, technically, if you were to say it like that, then really there is no tonal center. 
because those three chords, those three chords only show up in a uh, atonal scales, not atonal, a non root, non orientable, whatever. I'm getting into math now. <laughs> uh, into into scales that don't have a root note. Uh, if you think about the like, if you play um, C and then go up by a whole step each time. You have no root mm-hmm. there, and so if you kind of play in that scale, it sounds kind of mysterious, like from some you know old '60s movie or some cartoon or whatever. Like you're you know not in Kansas anymore or whatever. That's or that's where the, the other way. To, the other way to think about it is that they're playing a major six, and then they're going four, five, major six, one, five, major six. Yeah. You know, I'm not quite sure exactly how all that applies. <laughs> well, but then you'd be, then you'd be <laughs> playing a flat two. I don't know, but it's still fascinating to hear. Let's just say, let's just say that I think it's Eddie experimenting. He does. There's there's a common theme in his riffs too, that he will uh, do a lot of suspensions. I mean, Panama is pretty much just a whole, like, the, the intro is just a whole bunch of suspensions over and over again. Uh, 316 is a bunch of suspensions. Uh, 5150, oh my goodness, talk about suspensions. It's just, it's it's playing that, you know, easy bar chord on the, the DGB string and then playing some kind of other chord with your other fingers. And that's kind of a lot of what his riffs are based off of that basic idea. And I think this one is the same way. I haven't tried to learn this riff, actually. Oddly enough. I mean, it's Van Halen, right? Why have I not? But <laughs> I think that's what's happening here. That's what sounds like happening to, to me here. It almost sounds like uh, a Van Hagar song because there's so much happening riff-wise, suspension-wise. And it's it's a lot less, you know, raw power from the the first two songs of the the raw energy behind the guitar. Now it's like we we're, we're worried about melody a little mm-hmm. bit more. So the bass. Yeah. So the, we actually right. have left the debut album now at this point, and we've gone to a, probably the most interesting album as far as legacy wise in their catalog which is fair warning which is their fourth record um when this album came out this was kind of like the black sheep of their catalog um it was the lowest performing album because it really didn't have any hits on it um unchained was kind of the only really accessible song on the album because it's a very dark it's a very aggressive experimental um, aspects as well. And all the other albums had at least one or two kind of big radio hits. So, um, you know, you it didn't it didn't have a Cradle of Rock or Beautiful Girls or Panama on it even Unchained really wasn't a hit for them. It's kind of just a song that's more become a cult favorite as time has gone on. And that's how Fair Warning as a Mm -hmm. whole has really grown. 
it's become kind of the dark instead of the black sheep it's turned into a dark horse where it's kind of the um <laughs> the underrated album that that people look back to and go you know what this secretly might be one of their best albums because of the fact that it's very risky um it, it's not a commercial record at all and it's an album where Eddie was really in complete control musically and architecturally of what was going on. And, you know, just on um, songwriting, even on what, you know, the fact that a song like Unchained with such a weird sounding riff and such an experimental riff is the most commercial sounding song on the album really speaks to what kind of record this is. It's true. Yes. We so this is a, so Ethan, before we started, you had said that when you listened through these songs, that there was a lot of things that sounded similar to you. And I and I never noticed this before, but a lot of Van Halen songs have moments like this where all the instruments go down and David Lee Ross just kind of starts like shouting, taunting, joking around. You know, you've got like the Panama section where he starts, you know, with the, we're getting a little bit hot tonight or the everybody wants yeah. some, the where'd you get that shirt? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Yep, it's got multiple moments. Um, You look at Ain't Talking About Love, he's got that goes down, and he's even the next song on our set has it. So it's a very much a a trademark of their songwriting is to have these moments where everything, the dynamics go down, and and Roth just kind of starts to to joke around. You know, you've got that, that, uh, come on, Dave, give me a break. One break coming up. Like that's, that's so classic Van Halen. Yeah. (laughs) It's just part of their style. I think at some point it's like, yeah, I think that's just his thing. You know, this was like, they were, you know, a little bit annoyed at him and that's kind of what egged on that particular take of it by this point in their songwriting you know the tensions were starting to build between dave and the two van halen brothers because you know they felt that dave was being a little too um uh theatrical in that that, you know he's hamming it up too much and so uh, I'm, I had read that on particular this song, there was kind of a bone of contention that that stayed in. And that's why that, that's where that other voice of Dave, give me a break, just kind of like, come on, we're getting tired of this shtick that continually is popping up in these songs. And he's just kind of like, well, F you, I'm going to still do it. <laughs> that's funny. So the come on, like the come on, like yeah, is like legit in there. <laughs> yeah. So that is. I always, I never noticed it because I was just, I was used to it because it felt 
like that's where the song mm-hmm. could go. And of course, it completely works. Every time they it's, used it, it's such a great segue to get us back into that chorus. Right, and and they do that all the time. And now that Ethan mentions it, it's like, yeah, I guess so, but it's not like, at least to me, it's not like it ruins anything at all. It's that's just that's what the song. It's a it's a staple of the Van Halen sound. I just had never noticed how many songs had moments like that, and so uh, it was it was today. I was I was listening. I was just like. I don't think I've ever noticed so many songs have moments like these in their songs. And so it was an interesting thing. And then then Ethan said that right before we started recording. I was just like, and that's what came on my, I was just like, yeah, you know what? I did notice that there are certain trademarks, but you know, I don't think in any way it's a bad thing. It's what makes them, them not, a lot of other bands don't have those in their songs, and so it's something that separates them as this is our thing. Yep. I think that's fair. And that kind of goes back to the way Eddie plays yeah. as well. Is he just has techniques that other people just like some some of us like me physically can't do, but everyone else just didn't know how to do at the time. And and that's mm-hmm. and or just weren't doing at the time, and so that's what separated them, or what separated him there, and that's what separated the band from everyone else as well. Well, um, so Grant, I, what's the, the most the listened to part of the song for me? Well, I mean, Ethan was was saying something i can't remember what were you saying the the most listened to part of the song for me was easily that like middle random weird time ah, solo yes. thing. The, the first solo right. i i guess it's a solo like i wasn't even listening to the guitar solo I was just trying to figure out yeah, what because everybody so, else was doing the whole time. It doesn't sound like a... So this, is, this comes in a popular I'm trying thing to... that happened when Eddie would do solos, is that he would play out of time. It's, it's the famous, the most famous instance yep. of that being from Hot for Teacher. When he would, when he would play in... Really? When he would play in seven was... instead of eight. And he would make the the rest of the band play along to the timing of his solo instead of staying in four, and him going back and fixing it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I had ever noticed that there was something. But now that I'm thinking through that solo, yeah, there is a there is a weird time shift there. And I had heard that story that he had, and I. That he had said that they had done it on a number of solos before, and I but I couldn't think of what that what solos those were. Yeah, it's a mistake so it like that a he mistake? just that he kept in and made the band adapt to his mistake. <laughs> that is such yeah. a chad move. <laughs> I'm 
because he's <laughs> I didn't he's mess not up. like like Grant saying he's not overdubbing the solo later to where the the instrumental track is already set in. He'll he's what they're doing is they're playing it live yeah. in the studio, and I'm sure that the first time he does it, they stop and they go, "Hold on, Eddie, you're supposed to playing way." And he's just like, "Well, I don't want to play it that way. I want to play it this way." And they're just like, "Okay, I guess we'll change what we're doing." The queen is never late. Everyone else is That's early. Right. <laughs> Same. Like, I got to the point where I could feel it and I could, like, kind of mime play it on drums, but it was purely based yeah. on feel and I was not counting at all. Oh, well, based on feel, that's, that's, I mean, Van Halen's not technical. The play, the individual players in Van Halen are technical, but together they're not technical. Most of the time. Unless, except for the times well, that Eddie yeah. decides he wants to play in seven instead of four. Yeah, but that's just him being a diva. <laughs> that's not them being technical. That's not them getting together and say, ooh, let's put a 7-8 here. It's Eddie going, ooh, you're going to put a 7-8 here. You know, so the big difference. It's kind of, it's like uh, how they say it's that ha- there's no uh, accidental notes in jazz. It's... Yeah, but just like, you know, if you say, if you hit a wrong note, you say, it's just jazzy. It's a jazz note. I can totally see, like, Eddie making a mistake, and (laughs) instead of saying that he made a mistake, just like, yeah, I meant to do that. No, he he literally said that. He literally said that one time. He said that I've learned over the years that if you make a mistake, do it again so that people will think you meant to. He he said that in an interview one time. Like that's kind of smart, but also kind of weird. But like at the same time, what? <laughs> because I him playing live, he was like he was like Neil, where he got better and better and better and better and better as he went. He never had that point where it's like I think he's getting worse at guitar. You know how long until he won't be able to play the same mm-hmm. songs, you know? But, like, we never had that. That thought never went through anyone's mind. Um, and, and oh, my gosh, what were we talking about? I just started thinking about him playing at the Hollywood Boulevard, and I kind of zoned out. We're, we're talking about something important. I had a point. About him making mistakes. And it was a big point. Yeah, about him making mistakes. And um, and so it's it's weird to think that because I've never I've never seen him make you know a huge massive mistake live I've never seen him make a small mistake live if you listen to um, eruption actually the the which it's interesting that you mentioned in the first episode that it was just like he didn't even know mm-hmm. he was being recorded because if you listen to um, eruption actually there are two mistakes that um eddie has pointed out he said he he made mistakes in the actual recording but nobody really notices them because you know we've all grown up Mm -hmm. listening to that and so we don't know any different we don't like if somebody played the the correctly performed version of eruption to us then it it would, it would yeah, sound right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It just, it wouldn't. Well, I think so that, anyway. I think that Ooh. Unchained is my favorite. Song Unchained, really? Six. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the one that I've ranked the highest objectively in my ranked playlist. Really? Uh, and I, I didn't even yeah. say this earlier, but I'll go ahead and rank uh, not only um, the last couple, but I'll also give you context on where the ones from the previous episodes sit as well. So, um, Running with the Devil is number eight. Uh, you Really Got Me, I put it number 13. Um, no, oh, Unchained, wow. I put it number five. And uh, and then Eruption, I have at number three. Panama, I have at number one. Um, Ain't Talking About Love is at number four. Hopper Teachers at number two. Uh, I'm good songs. We're gonna we're gonna talk. I have it at like number twenty-two. And then everybody wants them. I have at number seven. What was the? Yes, we are definitely gonna discuss this. Uh, I'm the one (laughs) twenty-two. What? How is that twenty-two? How? Whatever. I'm not gonna argue with it. Yes. (laughs) We should go. Which is number? (laughs) Which is number ten on the list? Mean Street. Okay. It's a good song, but it, I don't know if it needs to be that high, but it's a great song. Um, it is Mean Street. Yes, the same it album. is the album opener. I was, yeah, I was exposed to this song, not actually listening to the song. I was watching, uh, I was. I went through a Eddie Van Halen just craze phase for about like a year. Um, as soon as they had that Jimmy Kimmel performance, it was just, blew my mind because they were so great and of course like Wolfgang was playing with them and I had never seen Wolfgang playing with them so I thought it was really cool that like they were like father and son and whatever and like you know me and my dad were like playing guitar together and so there's that Um, and so I thought that was really cool and uh, so after that you know there was all the analysis of like how he played the tremolo stuff. And so that's how he figured out that he was basically twisting his forearm. Like, he was yeah, I've seen him do videos of that. I was just again. like, that looks so weird and so yeah. uncomfortable. I, I figured out how to do it. And I knew how to do it for a long time and I could get really fast doing it, but I just, I stopped doing it one day. And Matt, Matt Bellamy from Muse but, is one of the best that I've ever seen do that. Right, and 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 he kind of copies Hot for Teacher on Reapers a little bit, but in my opinion, but um, and he does it well. Uh, but that kind of got me into the craze, and so I watched um, the Live Without a Net eruption version. It was the longest one I could find, and so I just watched the whole thing, and that's when I noticed a lot of, you know, really interesting, you know riffs and stuff that i had never heard before and i just thought they were just him jamming out but yeah. they were actual songs and one of them was mean street and so i was trying to figure it like i would 
slow down the video and to have and I'd zoom in and I'd like try to figure out like what he was doing and how he was like angling his you know his thumb and his finger and I eventually learned the intro to this and it's another one that I forgot how to do uh, which is because I you know because I just started learning Metallica songs afterwards so uh, it, but it's so, it was so fun to learn how to do and I'm, I'm kind of trying to do it with my hands right now but um, that, that intro is so good because it's it's this it's it's percussive it's, it's super so percussive good. it's one of those things that you can do on one guitar you can do it without mm-hmm. any weird effects i have no idea because again i and so you i'm not a guitar player like so i have no idea what the uh with the uh i have no idea it's what harmonics. the techniques are but it's just like i it's one of those ones i listen i'm just like i just uh, have no idea how you even get a guitar to sound that way <laughs> lots of gain the, the and very lots first of part is is really percussive it's kind of like kind of like slap bass almost but uh, Ethan is right the second the second half of that is a lot of harmonics and it's just a lot of really fast harmonics and just he knows what he's doing and he's only playing on like really like four frets wow the whole time it's just up yeah. and down the strings and different ways that yeah. he's playing those notes. But it's such a unique sound sounding, so like weird. just even still, like you don't hear guitar players doing stuff like that. It's something that you listen to and you're just like, nope. no one would even try and do this except for Eddie Van Halen and actually put it on a song. Yeah. 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 And. And didn't we talk in a past episode about the best musicians yeah, I think being so. the ones that are really trying because, to Because, again, uh, it's the ones that are experimenting that are pushing the instrument forward. And those are the ones that I think are, you know, above the people that are mastering yeah. the current techniques are the ones that are, um, you know, masterfully playing techniques that no one's used before. Because of obviously, you know, yeah. I'm sure there are guitarists afterwards that mm-hmm. have used harmonics more effectively. But the fact that he was thinking so outside of the box from everyone else at that time, yeah, and still doing it so early. At, to be where he was, yeah. you know, even after everyone's perfected, he's still one of the best to ever do it. League. Man. So, yeah, I, I love that that first guitar solo, yeah. by the way, with those like uh, the yeah. This is this is a a very bluesy song. Once you get outside honestly. of the intro, um, I think that you kind of got um, a different side of his rhythm and lead playing, uh, which I really wanted to in the set and yeah and then we get we get that uh we get that kind of i hate to say campy because it's just uh-huh. that, that so van just, halen part just like we were talking about in unchained where and he even shouts out the the name of the album someone yelled fair warning 
struck that poor boy down. Yeah, and you have that uh, that outro section, which is not popular. Well, not popular. Not not popular. It's not common in Van Halen songs. The only one I can think of, I think there's a 1984 song with where it's a fade an out outro like that. But I, I where it's like a fade out, but it's got a long. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking kind of, of probably uh, Drop Dead Legs. Yeah, that's I think that's, that's got one is. with a long yeah. solo. Uh, I mean, you know, in a way, Jamie's crying is the same way and uh dance the night away but those are less solos and more of just a lead line that's being taken out so the the outro of mean street is kind of reminiscent of that outro of drop dead legs where it's more like spacey yeah it's not really uh it's, it's a jam pretty much it's kind of just a bunch of chords. it's nice yeah i was kind of surprised to hear it not like a it's big fade out like this i was i was like whoa Yeah, it it's not a normal like this whole song is not a yeah, which is again another reason why I wanted to include on the set. I wanted to kind of get some variety of just again, kind of showing as many different sides of Eddie as I could, to where it's not just you know shred 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 shred. I think this goes back to how underplayed his like riff building is. Uh huh. And it's not a complicated like it's like that's not like super technical it just sounds good it's just the right thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and it's really great that if you listen to um, the bass line in the intro the mm-hmm. bass is copying him which is interesting that the bass isn't just playing one note the whole time. Uh, and so I think Michael Anthony deserves a would, little bit of I'll, credit on, you know... I, I would I'm, say I'm this is probably album, his most interesting but... song bass-wise. Just from hearing a lot of different uh, yeah. bass lines that he's used in other songs. This is the one where I think that if you're going to show off just how good he secretly was... Mean Street is one that you would point to because he even gets really a spotlight when when everything goes down and it's the you know the the David Lee Roth goofing off part. He's really kind of what you hear the most. Yeah, and he's and he's getting busy. Yeah, and when the riff finally starts, you know, when the riff finally kicks in and David Lee Roth comes in and the band kind of you know starts up sort of uh, and the bass drops down to its normal octave that's really the dynamic change that makes that riff kind of mm-hmm. have a little bit more grit to it and a little bit more beef and it's not the guitar in the riff it's the bass which is actually kind of weird to think about for a Van Halen I song, think the one thing I noticed really was driving the, riff, the bass but... copies that the I guess the main guitar riff a lot because I think whenever and that's why the bass tone I've noticed is so good because whenever 
Eddie goes away to like do a, like a, a lick or something, I feel like not only is his playing and his tone full enough in and of itself to like have the guitar be able to go away from the riff, I think that the ba- the way that the bass player is playing and his tone as well also gives Eddie room to like leave the riff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good to have a, a bass yeah. and guitar yeah. tone that complement each other as opposed to, you know, having a, a tone like uh and justice for all. <laughs> I was trying not to inevitable. It, I, I think you. I think you. Are we? Are we ever gonna go a set of like three episodes? Maybe not every time. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it does. It needs bass. I think we can go ahead and move on to the next song. Yeah, because the the really important part of that song was the intro, but this next song, which is actually. Quite yes. a delight, I will say. That. My favorite song is of the Romeo set. Delight off the Women and Children version. I will say that objectively, this was probably my favorite, honestly. Be- and part of that is probably because I hadn't really listened to it critically before. I'd only listened to Women and Children Ooh, first man. once. And That's I didn't really album. like it back then. Um, it's, but it's. I think I might need to. We'll talk about this it. more in after hours. But that is a fascinating record. So it's the third record, in my opinion. It's the. It's kind of the true follow up to the the first Van Halen album. It's the it's the album where they're growing, and they're really starting to mature as songwriters and not just write exclusively party anthems. It's a, it's a, and you know, fair warning is a bit of an extension of that as well, but to where it's a, it's an experimental dark record. And um, it's also probably their most metal album. As far as just a lot of the, a lot of the songwriting and guitar playing in particular is just very aggressive and, you know, really still not a lot of metal to compare it to around that time. That album came out in 1980. That's the same year that Iron Maiden's first album came out. No, there weren't any thrash records out yet. Um, You know, Judas Priest was still kind of in the more um, commercial radio metal phase of their career. They hadn't gone, you know, painkiller double bass yet. So this was probably one of the more aggressive albums of its time. Hmm. And uh, Romeo Delight is absolutely one of the most uh, unrelenting songs on that album. And I think that this is a song that really just shows how incredible eddie was at guitar it gives him a wide breadth i mean those the riffs are so good on this song his solos are probably the most blistering on the set and um he's also got some great dynamics in this song i think that this is also my favorite uh, low section of all the low sections that they have when it goes yeah, got low but when it goes to that last one and he's doing the ba-dum-da, ba-dum-da, ba-dum-da. 
I think that that's so great. The one one weird thing about this song oh, that yeah. at least out of the six that we've done on the podcast, this is like the only song out of all of them that just like starts off with guitar and drums like right out the gate, like without like kind of like a like a, an official like dramatic intro. Yeah. All, all, all And I was like, "Whoa." Yeah, I'd, I was expecting I guess kind of the typical like put a line out there and then like go into it. Which I think at this point it's good to break up that uh, monotony, but you know, I, n- I hadn't really noticed that. But now that you again, that's why it's like the Van Halen formula. I was like, "All right, either give me like give me the lick, like what's the lick for the song, just by itself, and then you're gonna bring the drums, or give me like but an experimental have... guitar thing, or some kind of like running with the devil a sound effect." But yeah, this yeah, is... just like what what what's like a like the shtick at the beginning, yeah. But but like this is just like. One, two, three, four. It's like this, we just go into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this down section is so good. This down section is just so good. Yes, it is. Uh, I love the kind of the, the pulsing hi-hats that are I, going I, on. And yeah. he's got the, the the fading in guitar. And it's just, it's very... It reminds me almost of like a sped up War Pigs. Yeah, mixed with that's a good Stone comparison. Crazy. <laughs> that's the best way I can describe this song. Because <laughs> I kept trying to think of the riff <laughs> in my head, and it kept. Yeah, I hadn't Stone thought crazy. about that either, but that's actually very true. Like, yeah, you've got the the riffing, I mean, then you've got the the. The, the fury and the the pulsing hi-hats of Stone Cold Crazy. Right. And the guitar tone on this is so, like, scratchy. It's not screechy. It's just really intense, really screamy. Um... Uh, like uh, mm-hmm. like like their first album, but it's but it doesn't so, but it doesn't well, have as much of the uh, of the fun party vibe that the first album does. It's got a bit of a darker feel to it. Yeah, it it sounds like yeah, it sounds like we're moving towards metal. It sounds like oh, it does kind of sound like. Mm-hmm. Metallica, like and Metallica, I think that David Lee Roth is on point on this song. I think that he just gives a whirlwind vocal performance. That's yeah. so good. Yeah, this song is so good. When he starts building it up with the, when he starts, uh, how does he not run out building of up with the feel my heartbeat, and it starts to just really, the pressure builds, and then that last chorus comes in. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Graham, legit the best. It's the it's, best it's, part of yeah. this song are the catches and the verses. Yeah, I would like agree. that makes, in my opinion, it, it it might not be like the. It's like if you didn't have these verses, like I feel like the rest of the song would be worse because it's 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 still aggressive, but it brings it so low dynamically that it just sets the rest of the song up so well. Yeah. Uh, so Grant and those swells on the guitar on the sorry, <laughs> uh. yeah, no, 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 great. 
He's going. I have. Yeah, the again. Go ahead. I I like hearing the different guitar sound of on the on the swell, like the cleaner. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it just it just feels. This song feels a lot different than the other songs. Yeah. Just. And then obviously they go into their thing whenever they go to the chorus, and it's great. It is a little dark. Yeah, there's almost it like this manic kind of sinister uh, craze to it. Like it's it's like the lyrics are still about partying and having fun, but there's almost like a desperation. Yes. To it. Like like too, like too uh-huh. manic craze. Too much uh, too much partying has kind of driven them insane in a way. What what is what are the lyrics to this song like? What what is it about? Um, pretty much, it's just about you know about a man that's desperate for a good time. He's I've I've got whiskey and I'm looking for somebody to squeeze and uh, just you know trying to trying to have pleasure at all costs and it's and it is driving him mad. Can't take it anymore. Yeah. And just, you know, him trying to, you know, woo a girl, but at the same time, like it's, you know, it's all starting to crumble around him. You can definitely feel the tension, like, kind of at the half point where it's like it goes down for that really long time until the drums kind of start pulsing in. Mm hmm. You can feel it kind of like coming up to a head there musically. Yeah. That, yeah, the whole. The whole down section to me is the is the brilliance of the song wow. as it as it continues yeah. to build, and then you think that it's gonna explode, but then it goes back down, and he comes in with the feel my yeah. heartbeat, <laughs> and then yeah. and then it finally just hits you, and that whole last chorus is so big. He's there's so many screams in the background, and yeah, to me at this point in the set, it's almost like you you take the the energy, the kind of the dark energy that's building ever since Unchained. More aggressive, and then this that's really more aggressive. And then, you know, I was actually for a minute kind of unsure of where I wanted to end the set. I knew I kind of wanted to go back to something more um, more light and on you know because you know at the end of the day this is an episode about remembering Van Halen I didn't want to end on a dour or aggressive tone I wanted to kind of I think that you ended it on the greatest song that you could have chosen to end it on yeah well we're not done with this song no are we we can just we can go ahead and segue right into the the final song here um, All right. And so, yeah, I just wanted to have, I wanted to have something that was joyous and as well as show off one more different aspect of of Eddie Van Halen, and that's his uh, adept skill as a synthesizer player. <laughs> he played that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and. <laughs> And I had no idea that was the final song. No idea. Wait, really? Yep, that's him. That's like the whole what? 
Oh my goodness. Let's jump, let's jump. into this one. Oh, and and by the way, jump I put Romeo Delight at number six on my ranked set, and Jump is at number nine. Oh, really? That low? Okay. It's weird to see them do this one live. They did this yeah. one on um, Ellen uh, recent, recently in the past few years. And Eddie didn't do any of the keyboards mm-hmm. because there is actually a guitar part that goes through the song. Um, if you if you really listen closely, there's always a keyboard part and a guitar part throughout the whole song. It's just which one's louder in the mix at a certain time. During the verses, you know, there's the keyboard up. During the pre-chorus, you know, there's pre-chorus and chorus, there's the uh, guitar that's louder. And then, of course, the solos. Um, yes. But Do Eddie you think that there the, is a keyboard line so, ever written that is more immediately noticeable than this one? Probably not. This is, this is one of the most so iconic keyboard intros of all time. Um, well, stop yeah, I would say as far as that's something fair. that's more that's of a fair. synth line, I don't think there really is. And the thing is, this is probably mm-hmm. the one song that people would probably not know is Van Halen, just because Van Halen is known as such a guitar band and known as kind of more of a, you know, like an aggressive sounding rock band that... You know, unless you know it's Van Halen, it's not one that you would think because it's very happy, it's very fluffy, it's very bouncy. You know, it it perfectly it personifies the word jump. Yeah, that you know you could be mistaken in hearing that and never know that it's Van Halen. You know, unless again, if you unless you're paying attention, it's just like oh, so, I know David Lee Roth's voice, but most of the like the general public doesn't think that way. They're just gonna hear it and go, "Oh, that's a great pop song." Yeah. This this was one of the first songs where it it made me want to actually sit down and learn a solo. Lucas, you know this, but but in Area Fifty Two, I don't really want to spend time learning the exact notes of every solo. I don't think that's really efficient use of of time and it just it sounds very if you don't learn a solo correctly Mm -hmm. it ends up sounding very robotic but this solo was so good that it made me want to actually sit down and put in the hours and hours and hours into learning every note and exactly where it goes and exactly how it's phrased and i i've done that for i can probably count on one hand the amount of solos that i have done that with this is one of them and so it, it it's it's crazy that even though it's not even a guitar song he's still making iconic uh especially yeah to once you know that he's doing the keyboards too because this might be the one whenever i was saying at the beginning you know i'm picking songs where eddie is front and center and you would think on this one, well, he's not on this one. He just has the solo, really, and that's it. But, of course, you know, when he's the, he has playing the key. Yeah. And, of course, you know, the, just like you were saying with a lot of other songs, that keyboard 
uh, line is the spine of the song. It's so it's what it's what good... holds the whole song together. Right. He's just a good riff writer. Yes, he, he is. can even do it on keys. He can't be held back by other instruments. No, he cannot. <laughs> Let's talk about how weird that solo is, though, because there's a there's a I know there's a weird key change. That oh, happens. do uh, Grant? Do you know kind of? Uh, so we in the. Uh... you in you end the verse mm-hmm. that little that little part on the verse when he says jump that whole phrase ends on a five and then you go to a flat seven which is kind of normal it's kind of you know i would okay i wouldn't say it's okay. normal but it makes music theory sense uh, sometimes you might go up a full step so that would be like them going to d but instead they went down to something minor and so it's kind of from the idea of we were in c hmm. major but we're going to treat it like c mixolydian you know uh which is normal i mean ac i think probably coupled I think it's also uh, coupled because he has some really like strange phrasing at the beginning of the solo as well. There's just something of, there's something of, there's something about uh, it that's yeah, just when that solo old. comes in, it does feel very unexpected. And I think also it's helped by the fact that you're not hearing a whole lot of guitar up to that point in the song that it just kind of makes itself known in a different uh key. And the phrasing is immediately kind of atypical, it's even for a Van Halen solo, I feel. And I think just overall, I think it's a great surprising left turn. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, of course, the, the keyboard solo kind of helps bring everything back to the modal center. Yeah, well, and there's there's no snare drum in that entire solo section. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because he does, wait, he uses a wait. really weird beat there. Whoa, okay, during during the keyboard solo. Wait, no, there is some snare, there's but his no snare way. is also no, mixed really no strange drum. on 1984. Like, I I couldn't even hear it. His snare is Yeah, his snare is pretty much a tom on the whole like, album. I guess until the very end. But it sounds like he's just like boom, 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 boom. Like it just sounds like kick and bell. No, he there is some there is some snare. It's just it's Tom. That's just that's just the way his drums sound on that record. Well um sounds bad. That I I don't uh, okay. I I slightly agree with you on that. I think that I agree. I I think that in some ways his drums sound great just because it's so different sounding. Like that his drums sound on 1984 is one of the most unique drum sounds ever on any album ever. It's something that you could not have 
if you haven't heard songs on that album, but you know that drum sound, you could hear a random song off it and go, I've never heard that, but I can tell that's from 1984 because of the way the drums sound. His cymbals and his kick and his toms sound great. It, the the snare, the, the snare is what right. is the that's, iconic that's the sound of it. Yeah, there's there's been some controversy over that snare. There's some people that really love it. There's some people that really hate it. And there's kind there. of not a lot in between. Van Halen is very like Iron Maiden in that their mixes. Yeah, are I would agree good. with that. They're except for except amazing. for maybe except for maybe the first album. They they don't. They're not mixed like Rage Against mm-hmm. the Machine or Ghost or you know somebody amazing. Yeah. They're just kind of they're. It is yeah. as pure to the sound of Van Halen live that you're going to get, and that's the that was the whole uh, mantra behind you know Eddie and the stuff that he would write is he never wanted. Um, anything mm-hmm. on the record to be anything that people would not hear live. They he wanted everything that people to see on stage. They want he wanted everything people were hearing live to be seen on stage. So he wanted everything to be, you know, maximum three background vocals. Really only two because Alex didn't, you know, do much because uh, he was drumming. And the the you know the one guitar for the most part. I mean, obviously he had overdub and stuff, but he had the, the most of the time, the thought behind everything needed to sound like it was live. And so it's not going to be mixed super perfectly and wonderfully and masterfully. And it's not going to sound like, you know, but it's always going to sound like platinum record type mix. But it's gonna sound so. There was another reason for me picking this song, and um, this was always the song that they would close their concerts with, especially recently, and ever since they reunited with David Lee Roth in like the mid two thousands. And it also serves as the last song that he ever played live because it was the closer to his last concert in twenty fifteen. So. It also seemed fitting, you know, like we we start the set with their first song and we end the set with the last song he played with Van Halen. And so that felt appropriate to put this song here. Because you would think the the I feel like the the normal thinking would be to put this song as an opener, because that's really the way that it opens the album 1984. Well, it's just like let's 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 flip this and kind of do what they have been using it for as a as a triumphant closer. Wow. I have to ask because it has been a controversy among my circle of um, cohorts. What is you this know, song about? I'm not completely sure. I think that I, because yeah, there is the there is the people that are saying just, because you know, some like, people jump say it's about suicidal, but that also kind of right. plays against the entire mood and feeling of the song. But that, you know that hasn't stopped other songs from doing the same thing, hiding a really depressing message inside a happy song. But that also doesn't really 
fit with Van Halen in general. They've never been, at least not in the David Lee Roth era, a band to kind of tackle such serious subject matter like that and hide it in a goofy, fun song. So I think that it's, I I think it's meant to be more of a, of a jump for joy. I always took this as like a risk taking song. You know what? I think that actually might be it. Oh, it's like, just do it. Yeah. Jump. Just take, take the leap of faith. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's what I had always like jump. Good, like jump. I think what it is is like, it's I, like I know you're like you're scared, but like just jump. Um, I think that because he's also saying like it seems like he's talking to a girl. I think he's telling her to jump into this relationship. You know, I ain't the worst that you've seen. Can't you see what I mean? Might as well jump, jump into it with me. You know, it's going to be messy. It might be weird but let's just jump in and see what happens we don't have the answers that actually is what makes the most sense to me as i'm thinking through the lyrics so good perspective ethan yep the guy that doesn't listen to van halen yep coming in clutch let me tell you what that's what it that's what is like sometimes sometimes that's what it takes there are there are the people that overanalyze that live with it they're just like oh it's it's probably this and then it's sometimes it's it's the fresh set of ears that come in and go you know what it's probably this so tell me about your experience lucas because this this is the song that you that you mentioned like that you cried on at the end of the set yeah so for me just I was yeah. thinking about um, just the fact that, again, this was kind of his final song. And um, to me, it was when it got to the the keyboard solo and it comes right back into, um, into the keyboard yeah. line. It, to me, it, I felt this symbolism of just like, this is a triumphant spirit uh leaving this world behind into a new and brighter place. Very much like a spirit carries on type thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's triumphant. It's, it's this feeling of um, going somewhere new, exciting and better. And, you know, because it's, it's a fade out. It's got that, uh, you know the guitar is really kind of chugging in at the very end. Yeah, this is this is a something that will argue in favor of fade outs. Um, and there was just there was just this feeling of like you know, this isn't we're not ending with something that's dour or sad or it's just like this is this is a celebration of his life, a celebration of what he's done, what he's left behind for us a feeling that his music is going to live on forever. And I just, I had all of those thoughts and emotions kind of coming in right at the tail end of this song. Um, Yeah. There was just this, you know, it was just joy because that's the overwhelming feeling of this song is joy. And so that was just, that's what I was feeling. 
I don't know if, if you guys got the same feel. I Grant told me that he didn't, <laughs> but I I did not get the feeling to the point of tears. No, I well having known that now it's kind of emotional yeah so i get that now but i didn't know that this was what they ended i didn't know this was the last song mm-hmm. that he ever played so yeah that changes i'm bit. i'm interesting because i'm outside of music a very unemotional person i'm very much a um I think it's left brain is analytical, very, you know, anal like just systems and, you know, cold, hard facts and data. It's why I love the research part of doing all this stuff. But music is like the one part where like kind of I uninhibit all of my emotions. And it's the time, it's the only time in my days where I'll actually kind of find myself tearing up and crying just because I'll be struck by the beauty and majesty of a particular song. There's a lot of choral pieces that do that to me. And and there've been, I'm sure there've been some sets in here that have done that. Uh, But, but usually music gets me, you know more emotional in other ways usually it it, i'm not really like a a, like a crier person sometimes but i would say that this song does give you kind of that overwhelming sense of joy in like not for me in like a sappy way Mm -hmm. just like uh yeah like this is a happy song and like this is a song that eddie wrote and this is the song that we're all going to remember him by. And I would, I would say like this yeah, would go I down mean, in history as like the Van Halen song. So I think that's good. And that makes me happy because it is a good song because he shows off without showing off. And I am glad that, that we will remember Eddie for years and years and years yeah. and years and years. And also just the image I had in my mind of so of while I was listening to the tail end was just from the music video of him playing the synth lead and just having this big old grin ear to ear as he's playing it. It's just like it's just this that's like the way that you want to remember. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, I think that that wraps up this yeah. section. And we talked mm-hmm. a very long time. We talked for a very, very, very long time. Where? What are we at? Oh well, over definitely half over half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, for this oh, I thought you meant like we're we've we've recorded for thirty minutes. Um, hour and a half. Hour and a half. Yes. So uh, we'll go ahead and take a break into our final segment. So make sure you stay tuned for our final thoughts and we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done with part two of our podcast where we listen to our six songs for the week which were run them with the devil you really got me unchained mean street 
Romeo Delight, and finally Jump. And so now we are on to our final segment, which is final thoughts. So Grant, you are the kind of the the resident Van Halen expert. So how has I guess how has I guess Eddie's death and now listening to these six songs, like what are your what are your final thoughts? I well I will say that something has changed. I'm gonna be more willing to listen to those three albums between the debut and Diver Down now. Because Romeo Delight has changed my mind. Uh, about that album and so I'm very excited to go listen to that as soon as we finish recording after hours um, but when when I found out that he died it, Lucas you were the one to text me and I was like there's no way he's dead like the the, the dude is larger than life and so there I I couldn't believe it. I still was waiting for the tweet of him saying, guys, I'm not dead. It's okay. Like, this is all blown out of proportion. Big misunderstanding. I'm fine. But that hasn't happened yet. And it's been two days. So I have to accept the reality that he's, like, not here. But I think it's okay. It's kind of like... And I, I, this is a really unfair comparison, and I, I don't mean to be insensitive by it, but it's like if you have a, a old relative who, towards the end of their life, um, suffers from dementia, and then they finally pass. It's almost like a freeing thing for them because they kind of were already gone. Musically, Eddie was already gone. He wasn't, he wasn't recording anything new. But it was still just the feeling of him no longer being on this earth that still struck me. Even if he wasn't making music, I was still sad to know that he wasn't going to be giving his two cents on, you know, this new PV amp or doing any more interviews or whatever. Because... Lucas was right. Most guitar players just like bow down at the altar of Eddie Van Halen, you know, and we like we do because he understands the craft and he understands the musicianship because he was the one who made it what it was for a lot of us. It's it's like you never meet your heroes, you know, or uh, in Iron Man 2, when Ivan says, if you can make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. It's like that. It's like he is mortal. You know, he's 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 one of us in a way of like, oh, we can play like him, but he's one of us and like he he met his end. Right? Like, and it was i just yeah yeah it's it was sad it was just it was just uh, lots of different emotions that just i didn't even know i had to deal with for somebody i'd never really met and he doesn't even know who i am and it's really weird to think that but um 
somebody who you don't even know can still influence you so personally. Mm hmm. So, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just going to leave it there. I would say for me, this, the, the feeling listening to this, it reminds me of the Iron Maiden episode where I come in, I really didn't, don't know a ton about Iron Maiden. I, I don't know a, a lot about Van Halen or Eddie. But after you go through and listen to it, and after, you know, I went back and listened to the podcast that you guys did on it. It's like, he's the king for a reason. You know? Like, he's he's at the top spot for a reason. And, and the same as what Lucas was talking about, about uh, Jimi Hendrix, where it's like, I know that you're at the top, but why really? Because, like, really, I was like, okay, Eruption is a great solo. I guess, sure, you can put him at the top for that. But it's so much more. And I think one thing we didn't even touch on this was like the 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 songwriting weight that he held with the riffs in the songs. You know, it's like he was just more than a guitar player. Like we talked about, I mean, obviously his technical chops are great, but like the tech side of it, the, the showman side of it, the songwriting side of it, just every, every aspect of what you would want in a musician from that era. He was just the, the complete package. Um, and so not very many people are going to leave the same mark on music that he has left. Um, I I think that he might, in terms of rock and roll, at least, like, I mean, I, I don't know very many individual people that seem to have had as much influence on the genre as a, as a, in, in its entirety as he did and as much sway on, on, where it went uh historically like whenever we're doing our music history podcast we'll probably have to do another episode on like on van halen and how that oh yeah the genre like you know what i'm saying like that big of a deal um and so um I'm probably not sad in the same like of course it any any time that anyone dies it's sad any time that any legend dies it's sad um but just uh, a once in a generation guitar player and so that's sad yeah so for me um if when I found out that he died, it actually wasn't super shocking to me. And I think I talked about this in the previous episode. Um, that there was a rumor floating around about the time that we recorded our last Van Halen episode. That they were going to go do another big tour and that Michael Anthony was going to reunite with them. And... Around probably like November, December, January, um, it all of a sudden just completely fell through. It wasn't even officially announced. It was just supposed of, oh, we're going to get a a true classic reunion for the first time, you know, since the 80s. 
and um, then David Lee Roth appeared somewhere and they asked him about it and he said that uh, Van Halen is officially done. Hmm. I, I thought to myself, oh no, Eddie's sick because he had had a history with cancer. Um, he had almost died of of tongue and throat cancer in the early 2000s. It had like a large portion of his tongue removed. Yes, yeah. And um, I don't know, just that was, that's just what kind of rung in me. It was just like, oh no, Eddie's not in good shape. I don't know why that was the first thought and then afterwards, that's what other people kind of started to chime in, but it never like gained momentum. Oh no, he's fine. And died. yes, of course, it initially shocked me, but then at the same time, I was just like, I kind of had this feeling that it was going to happen. And so um, what we found out actually today, their manager... Um, reached out and said that yes indeed that it was going to be a reunion tour with Michael Anthony and the reason it didn't go through was because he received his diagnosis and um, so for me this was um, more of just like a I had recently just gone on the same journey through Jimi Hendrix of just trying to really peel back the the minutia of why was he the greatest? Because of course, when someone dies, all of the greatest descriptions of someone that you could have for them as an artist are flooding in. You know, anytime someone dies, people are going to start calling them the greatest of all time. And um, really kind of pouring through why. I just, I feel like I'm continuing to understand him more as a man. And now I, hey, yeah, Eddie is one of the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest of all time, but I don't think I ever truly understood why I was saying that. And I think I do now. And of course, that's augmenting the way that I'm listening to the music. And there's just a new way to listen to their music now. It's different when you listen to these songs when the guy's still alive. It immediately takes a new perspective onto the songs yeah. once they're gone. And we'll never be able to hear these songs the same way ever again. There's always going to be this new dimension oh, to our that. hearing. Oh, don't do that. Oh, man, it's gonna make me cry. <laughs> uh, it's just it's inevitable. Yeah. I I think I think you know it was the reason why jump has never affected me emotionally before, never ever, and now it always will. And so, um, so yeah, that's that part of me has absolutely changed. But I'm really glad that we were able to make this episode and talk about him and uh this is definitely not the last time that we will talk but talked about the star as the lead singer that'll be an episode in of itself and um you guys so much for tuning in and listening to us 
Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys are tuning in because you are also um, mourning and remembering Eddie Van Halen. And so um, we just thank you for listening to our very long-winded tribute to him. Yeah. And uh, if you if you liked what you've heard, make sure that you hit the subscribe button. Let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future. And um, there are two links in the episode description. One leads to the Spotify playlist where you can listen. Uh, another one that will lead you to our Patreon page where we've got tons of and early content. Um, make sure to hit us up on social media and we are going to now correctly be on the right schedule with Michael Jackson coming out next week a bit of a a bit of a detour but we're going to be back on track so no one's getting the boot everything's just moved back a week and uh, new episodes every Monday morning 9am central and for those of you that are patrons, we'll see you in after hours. I'm, I'm Lucas. Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music. Good music.